lectures today have a couple of things going on, um, and uh, so I want to take them separately. But the first one has to do with the relationship between the first reading and the responsorial psalm. Uh, when we began our responsorial psalm, um, the very first line of the verse that they sang was this. I believed, even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. Try to feel that phrase. I believed, even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. It's one thing to believe when we're blessed and everything is going fine. I say to people in the morning, good morning, how are you? I'm blessed. Well, that's easy to believe there. But what about when we are afflicted? And who could have been more afflicted than Abraham? He is an old man. He and his wife, they were barren for years. Finally, they get a son. He is so elated. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son as a holocaust to me. Kill him. Burn him up. Offer him like an animal. Wow. We have no reaction of Abraham. But I guarantee you he was afflicted. He felt in the depths of his being that everything most precious was being taken from him. And yet he would say, I believed. I believed. Even when I was afflicted. That's quite a faith. And, and you know, I, I just don't know if this story uh, was meant to be a story that was teaching or a reality. But I just have such a problem believing in a God that would say, I want you to kill your son and offer him to me. Uh, it just doesn't fit in my head. But I get the story. And I could hear teaching that to people. This is the kind of faith that Abraham had even when he was being asked to give up his most precious possession, his own son. And when he was totally afflicted in his spirit, he kept believing. And because of that belief, Israel would become a mighty nation recognized by everybody. That's a teaching. And so it calls us. Do you and I want to respond with the same generosity of spirit that even when afflicted, I suppose you could say this pandemic year, it's been over a year now. This is an affliction, affliction of the whole universe. My goodness, over a half million people have died in the United States alone. This is an affliction. But we are asked to dig deeper, way down deep in us, and with the faith of Abraham, to see how much precious stuff has been lost to us over this last year. They say, but I believe. And we will continue to believe. Now, the second reading from Hebrews, like the first reading, both of them on the lectionary page, they're there, they start and then they, they, they skip a gap in between. In the Abraham story, it doesn't have a real impact. It would just go into a little more detail. But the Hebrews is different. The Hebrews uh, letter, is, is, um, is, is skips a part that I think is the conclusion or the answer to the question. I have it here on my phone, so let me see if I can pull it up real quickly. Um, in the Hebrews letter, a question is asked. In verse 31 of the 8th chapter of Romans, this is what the letter says. Brothers and sisters, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he doesn't answer the question. He starts talking about Jesus the Christ and who he was, and, and he's the only one who can acquit us, etc., etc., etc. But then, later on down in this passage, this is what it says. Pulled up the wrong one. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I remember it anyway. He says, if God is, who is for us, who can be against us? And then he comments about Jesus. Then he says this. He says, there is no one or no thing that can, can take the love of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. No power, no dominion, nothing in the heavens, nothing on the earth, uh, no one, nothing. There is nothing great enough to take away this love that God gives to us in Christ Jesus. And this is why I have that trouble with the Abraham story. If God loves us that much, if God loved Israel that much that he would make Israel a mighty nation, his chosen people, then it doesn't make a whole bunch of sense that he would destroy us or kill us. But again, if we're being called to this faithfulness and finally, for us as Christians, to believe that nothing, no power that exists or ever has is strong enough or big enough or great enough to take away God's love to us that comes to us in Christ Jesus. So in that context, we look at not just the gospel today, but last week. There are two journeys going on. Last week, the journey was into the desert. And Jesus was led by the Spirit, the scripture says. So he let go, and he let God lead him where he would. And it was out to an experience in the desert where he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. Stripped himself of every comfort. He was there when it was cold and when it was hot. He was there without food. He was there among wild animals. He was there among uh, no friends. Nothing to give him comfort or peace or, or make him feel okay. He was stripped, so to speak, naked out there in the wilderness. And then the devil tempted him. What a journey. But it was all interior. I mean, he went to an exterior place, but then all this he had to face inside. And that's the point. It was the descent into the desert that was to make him someone new, transform him. But in this gospel today, there's another journey, and this isn't to the desert, but to the mountain. And there he takes three of his disciples, and something happens. It says he was transfigured, somehow transformed in front of their eyes. Uh, trying to describe it, the author of the gospel says his clothes became dazzling white. Dazzling white, whiter than any bleacher could bleach them. And then, of all things, there's two people on either side of Jesus. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. What? Well, they were terrified. They, they didn't know what to think of this. They were terrified, it says. So Peter blurts out in his terror, uh, Lord, uh, we, we should construct three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And the gospel again says they were terrified. And then this voice says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And they came to their senses and look, and it's just Jesus. No Moses, no Elijah, no transfiguration, just the plain, ordinary Jesus. And they descend the mountain. Now, I see this in the movies all the time, but maybe 
you've had an experience like this where you're with somebody, husband, wife, friend, whatever, and something extraordinary happens right in front of your eyes that you can't explain. Something happens and you see what happens and you both agree, well, that's what happened. But then you say this, what just happened here? What just happened here? Somebody says, well, this took place, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah but what's it mean? What, what just happened? And that's what this, this experience of the, uh, of the three disciples is. They just see Jesus transformed in some way that they can't explain. Now, we will hear in the liturgy today, especially in the preface of the Mass, the commentary or reflection on that, that they were getting a taste of the glory. This is the, what the commentator says, a taste of the glory of Christ, the resurrected one, before he even died. But they didn't understand it. And Jesus even tells them in this story that this would have to happen to him and then he would rise from the dead. And then they walk down the mountain and, they, and they're saying, well, what just happened? I don't know, but what did he mean that he had to rise from the dead? What's that mean? Now here we are 2,000 years later. We know the whole story. We know the whole story. We get the blessing of Abraham and his faith. We get the incredible reflection from Hebrews that tells us that no one or nothing can take the power of God's love away from us because it's come to us in Christ Jesus, the risen one. But we get this other story of the transfiguration and why it is so important to us is because if we pause to think, do we know anything of the glory of God? I think we do. I think we do. Why would we be here at 8 in the morning uh, on a Sunday unless we had some kind of a taste inside that God loves us and that through Christ, through sacrament, through word, through faith, through song, through silence, we come to meet the Lord. I said last night um, that I think, though, the thing that it is that is so important to realize is that all of this has to be, we got to turn that off, okay? Mr. Ernie, <laughs> all of us have to get the experience. It's an inside job. It's an inside job. You see, I go and say these prayers, and they're beautiful, but if something doesn't happen inside, they're just beautiful prayers. We hear lovely songs, but if something doesn't touch us inside, where it becomes a part of us, and it, it lifts us up, it inspires us, it's just another pretty song. If the word is proclaimed excellently by Manny, and we hear it, and we hear some lovely ideas, and just say, well, that's a lovely idea, but if it doesn't go inside... If we can't say with the psalm, and I think Abraham must have said it, I believe even when I was afflicted, even in my pain and in my loss and in my sorrow and in precious things, precious things being taken away from me, that's when faith comes alive. So today, uh, I am begun since the end of January to ask a question each week, and the question is going to wrap itself around this. Have you and I ever experienced the Abraham faith where preciousness was taken from us by life, by an enemy, by someone who didn't care, by accident, by our own ignorance? That precious stuff was taken from us. And did we continue to believe? In fact, did it make us believe even more? 
That's the question, and that's the answer in our faith.